You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello, hello. Great to be with you. We have much lined up for today's show. Many of you may be listening, might be on two sides of the spectrum here. The topic of fertility and marriage. There was a video that recently came out by Jubilee Media. If you're not familiar, Jubilee Media and some of you listening actually might be very familiar. That might be how we are acquainted. Uh, But they are a YouTube channel. And they host all of the episodes of shows that they create on their show. And one of the shows is called Middle Ground. And on that show, they take two opposing viewpoints and throw them together to have a conversation. Three people on either side. I was able to do a show on the topic of abortion, uh, debating three people who were pro-abortion. It was a fascinating episode. I'll be sure to post another link to that. You can find on my Twitter or Facebook at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You can see that a little later on if you head on there. But also in the meantime, there's a video that came on where it was vetting mothers versus daughters, a perspective of motherhood. And they were mothers of adult children who had more traditional views versus daughters who had very current views about not getting married, not having children. We'll be talking about everything from tubal ligation. You mention it later on in the show. We'll also be talking about this idea that if a child's going to be born with a disability, should that child be aborted? Should the woman be given the screening so that she can make the choice to abort her child? There's a recent case that came out of Poland where a woman said that had she known her baby was going to have Down syndrome, she would have aborted it. And she ended up suing some of the government entities. So we'll be talking about that a little later on in the show. I'll also be touching on following the money stream. I've not talked a lot about the Amazon Synod. And to be honest, I'm not going to get into a lot of it. Um, We are called to prayer and fasting. I know there's been a lot of confusing stuff that's come out. But one thing I do want to point to is some of the money stream behind some of the events and major organizing events for the Pan-Amazonian Synod. So we'll be coming up on that a little later on in the show. So this movie on Jubilee through Jubilee Media, it's a show called Middle Ground, and they have three mothers, uh, older women, a little more middle age with adult children, and three daughters. So three women who are about in their mid-20s-ish who are living a lifestyle. Some of them are living with their boyfriends. One of them is getting ready to go through with tubal ligation. Um, Another one of them says, you know, she doesn't know if she'll ever have children if she'll ever get married. Typical millennial lifestyle today. No marriage, no children, are kind of spurring it off, would rather travel. This is what this episode of Middle Ground is all about. So two of the people representing a traditional mindset of getting married and having a family, two of them are the mothers of the girls who have a different view on the show. It's a great episode. I really encourage you to check it out. I had actually been reached out to by Jubilee Media to help in recruiting for the show, uh, offering some names and ideas for people who might be involved. Unfortunately, they didn't take any of the names that I sent over, but the video is still enlightening. If you want to know where millennials are 
at. This is the episode to understand why they're thinking what they are about marriage, not having children, closely tying into the topic of contraception. So here's one of the things that we saw come up in the show. One of the first opening comments by a girl in she ends up saying is, well, marriage started as women being sold. And so she's basically saying, well, I have a problem with marriage because the whole institution, because you'll hear people, this idea being anti-institution, anti-patriarchy, anti-organization. This is the idea that they have. Well, what it originally was, this woman says, is that it started as a form of women being sold from person to person. And that's what marriage was. My first response to that is for those who hold a traditional view of marriage, they're commonly people of faith, commonly people who hold to a strong worldview of Christianity, often Judaism. We hold marriage in very high regard and specifically Christianity. It was specifically through the Catholic Church that for the first time we insisted that there had to be consent within marriage. Who advocated for that? The Catholic Church. Because we see the value and dignity of the human person. I bring this up because people, you know, start spouting off information saying they're anti-patriarchy, they're anti-institutions, they're anti-marriage. Well, they're saying that they're anti-something that is wrong, that shouldn't have been done. People shouldn't have been sold from person to person. But also sometimes I wonder if people are a little naive with regard to the way society worked in a sense. So although it's wrong and we should never sell people, they also forget that, let's say, in a Judeo-Christian type of world, early time of Christianity, that the responsibility of a woman in society was placed on a man. He took responsibility for her care, for food, for really looking out for that individual. And so the idea was that you should be married because you need someone to take responsibility for you as a human being. Could that be abused? Of course it could. Was it? Yes. But still, I have to come back to the fact that that doesn't mean that's what Christian marriage is. And that's where we hit a turning point. I think a lot of people today don't have any understanding of what marriage is, which makes me kind of point to another perspective. One of the girls in the video who, again, is somewhat anti-marriage and anti-children, who's living with her boyfriend and keeps talking about the importance of partnership and equality. This girl talks about how she's the predominant uh, financial kind of contributor to the household that she lives in with her boyfriend. And she ends up at one point talking about how, well, this generation, my generation, and this is very true. The millennial generation is really the first generation that grew up with divorce, not just being common, but kind of starting to become a norm. Uh, it, it might even be the first generation where we started to see multiple generations now of divorce, you know, a path of living a lifestyle that's kind of passing from one generation to the next. And so when she said that, that really stood out to me because for this one girl to say, well, marriage was just a way for one woman to be sold to another man. But then this other person saying, well, we were surrounded by divorce. This was the example of marriage that we had. I think that that's the case for a lot of people. So they've got to go back and say, well, what was marriage? And unless they're seeing it lived out with family and friends around them, their examples of marriage are often going to be that marriage doesn't last. Marriage is temporary. 
Marriage used to be a form of slavery and selling of one person to another. These are the ideas that they might have. In fact, much of the radical feminist movement today, that second wave feminism that really started to peak its head in the 60s and many of the laws that we saw passed in the United States, such as through no-fault divorce, Griswold versus Connecticut, and decriminalizing hormonal contraceptives within marriage, and then lo and behold, we had abortion access in 1972. All of these things that came out of second wave feminism fed into third wave feminism, which is this. We saw in the 90s, all of a sudden the idea wasn't just that women needed to be freed of their bonds of fertility. Now it was that men and women need equality. And we're all for equality, equal in creation, equal in dignity. But we can't forget, you guys, come on, who are different Men and women are different. And that's one of the things that the mom says during this show on Jubilee Media, Middle Ground. She says, you know, I do believe. And it's funny because she's embarrassed saying it. Like she's embarrassed and she's kind of sitting there. You can tell she's uncomfortable. And she apologizes for saying what she believes, that men and women are different. And she believes in gender roles. Yet this is what third wave feminism has fought for. It's saying, okay, men and women are not only the same, they're interchangeable. You know, I talked on the show recently about how there was this um, in the news story that came out, I think on like Mom's Magazine, about how two men are pregnant and following this new and unique journey through the gestational weeks of two men who are pregnant. The reality is one of them is a woman, a biological woman. She may have had her breast cut off, but she's still a biological woman and she's having a baby. Doesn't matter what you quote unquote identify as, the truth is the truth. Yet today, people have this idea that, well, everything's equal, everything's interchangeable. I can call myself a she and it, whatever that is, and I can do whatever I want. This is the idea of third wave feminism absolute chaos. It's chaotic, you guys. When we're looking at this entire issue about marriage, no wonder there's so much confusion. No wonder two mothers are looking at their daughters in this really debate back and forth. And they're seeing that their daughters do not believe in a worldview that is pro-marriage, that is pro-family. And these girls are saying, I'm okay. I may never have children. Again, one of them saying that she's decided to have a tubal ligation. She doesn't want to have kids. It's not for her. No, thank you. Done. Yet I noticed during the video the women who were representing marriage and family life didn't have the greatest arguments. And I think that's part of the problem. I mean, one of the moms looked at her daughter and said, well, it is my hope for you that by the time you're 30, you're married. Why are you saying that? You know, there's a difference between saying, hey, I really hope you get married. I hope you meet the right person. Instead, she's kind of putting this time frame on it for her uh, rather than talking about, you know, you do need to meet the right person. You need to understand what marriage is. You need, you know, kind of going through the goods of marriage rather than, okay, it's check mark. And I think that that's what a lot of people think of it as. So they say, well, why do I have to check off the list of, okay, check, married. Okay, check. I've had children. One of the girls during this video, and by the way, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. Timory here. We're talking about this video uh, that came out on YouTube, this awesome channel called Jubilee Media. They take two opposing viewpoints on topics, whether it's abortion, pornography, sex worker, do you name it. They take some pretty controversial issues. Uh, and this one's mothers versus daughters, a traditional worldview of starting a family and having children versus the worldview that many young women have today that, well, I don't think marriage is necessary and I don't think or know that I want to have children. 
So one of the girls talks about how, well, I'm okay with no kids and no marriage, possibly no marriage. You know, what really inspires me, what I'm really passionate about is traveling and experiencing new cultures. This is what so many of my fellow millennials think that life is about that next travel, that next new experience. I was talking to someone the other day when I was in Colorado and I was saying, you know, this desire for traveling is a good thing. You know, the desire to travel, it's something beautiful. We want to explore and see nature and we feel more in touch with ourselves when we see nature, especially, you know, those coming from Southern California where I'm at. Sometimes we get so bogged down in the midst of the city. I think we all do that. There's this desire and longing to experience what is transcendent. And that's something that we discover when we travel. We see that there's something transcendent in the world, that there might be something transcendent in me. I might be made for something greater, for something grand. And traveling is something grand. I mean, there's a reason there's whole a whole movement behind hiking and outdoors things because we're so hungry for what is real, for what goes beyond ourselves to discover the created world that we didn't create that we can do nothing but honor. This is why, you know, kind of the respect for the earth movement, I get it because people want to have honor for what has been created. And instead of honoring the creation that they themselves are, they're honoring everything else that's been created. They're looking and seeing that everything else has a purpose. This is how poorly we have instilled self-esteem in the millennial generation that they have a really poor under, understanding of what self-esteem is. Either they go too far and they think self-esteem is based on, you know, what I do, or they have no self-esteem at all. They think that I can only honor what was created in a tree and respect this flower and save this species, but they have no honor and respect for the human species. Another one of the people had this argument that, well, you know, I really think that before you get married, you should live together for a couple years. You've got to live together for a couple years. I mean, come on, you've heard this. You've heard this. Maybe you've thought this at some point. Maybe you experienced this. I, you know, I've had friends who thought, you know, I thought that's what you did. I thought you moved in together. I thought you, that you're supposed to try it out. I was wrong and I have wounds that I'm carrying from that. Uh, but you know, one of the moms responds like, but marriage is so exciting that first year, that discovery. Well, why shouldn't you live together before you get married? And some of the social statistics show very clearly that when you move in together before getting married, your likelihood of ever getting married significantly decreases. And the likelihood that if you get married, that you will stay together decreases as well. So you shack up together. I know my friends hate that word. If you shack up, you've decreased the likelihood that that man will ever commit to you or a woman. And you've decreased the likelihood that your possible marriage, and I say possible because it's not likely to happen, totally likely to happen. You've decreased the likelihood that it will stay intact. Don't all of us long to be loved? Don't we long for that permanence, for that unconditional love? Yet we don't even have the expectation of it. This is what happens when you shack up, when you move in together. Each person has the idea, well, this is temporary. When there's an argument, they have the idea, well, I can always leave. If I disagree, I can leave. can separate my money, separate my house out, separate everything out. I can always leave. So what happens 
Real arguments never become settled. The need to wait to respect the other person's body, that respect just of the sexual act is not present. doesn't matter. That need to honor the fact that a child comes out of sexual intimacy doesn't matter. Guy expects her to be on birth control. She expects to be on birth control. That's supposed to be taken care of. That's the woman's job, as many people believe. This is where we're at. And so all of these things, that poor woman in particular, who hurts? Both the man and the woman hurt in this situation. But I have to tell you, a lot of the time, the woman at the back of her mind, deep down within her heart, is still longing. She's still hoping that that deeper commitment will be made. Even, you know, and I've heard cases where the guy will say, well, you know what? I asked. She said no. She wasn't interested. Well, maybe she's afraid. And you've just contributed to her fear by offering her something that's going to further take advantage of her body. It's going to show her that you're not really in it for unconditional love. Because if you were in it to love her unconditionally, you would recognize that you don't need her body outside of marriage in order to love her. You'd recognize that you don't have to shack up with her and show her that you can try it out. You know, people will say, well, you know, dating is a period to get to know each other. It is. It's to get to know if this is someone you should or should not marry. And you should know if that person is safe, if that person is healthy for you before you move in with them. And that's the thing. People are just trying things out after starting to date for six months. And look where they're finding themselves. Five years later, they're still maybe living together. They're miserable. They, yeah, they find happiness in various ways. But there's that uneasiness. There, there's the nasty talk about each other. There are all these types of mindsets that they have that just flies as okay when you're just living together. But people will say, well, you can afford to do what you want if you don't get married and you don't have children. Okay, but is affording to do what you want everything? It was interesting. There have been studies that have come out showing, okay, we're going to study and follow people the course of 70 years. We talked about it a few years ago on, um, not trending, but uh, Hearts and Minds when I was working with Trent Horn. And I think it was by Harvard. They followed the lives of people for about 70 years. And they looked and saw what made people the happiness. And there are a number of studies that have shown this, that the happiest people, long-term happiness, were the people who not only had long-term relationships, but who were married, who had families, who were connected to one another. And you see, millennials are choosing a lifestyle that goes against what all these studies show, that actually the struggles and trials that you get through to stay in a marriage for 40, 50 years later, those people are happier. People who have children, yes, it changes your body. Yes, you have less money to travel. Yes, you might be able to not be able to afford things all the time. But it actually does bring happiness. Now, one of the girls said, well, I'm led to believe, even though I don't believe it, but the world tells me, you know, my parents and so forth, that, well, you can only be happy if you're married. You can only be happy if you have babies. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you will only be happy if you are married and have children. What I am saying is that if you choose a life of engaging in sexual intimacy outside of marriage, if you choose a life of hormonal contraception and abortion, not only do all the social sciences and studies show that these people are experiencing major anxiety, major depression, I could go on and on, but you're destroying your soul. 
Now, I mentioned on the last episode that Kanye West was engaging in this conversation with Kim Kardashian talking about modesty. And he was talking about how, you know, after he's going as he's going through this conversion, he's looking and going, you know, you dressing sexy and me just staring at you and other women. That's not okay anymore as a husband, as someone who's loved as a father. He's going, that's not okay for me to do. And it's such a testament to the truth of the things. And he says at one point, it's hurting my soul. It hurts my spirit. I think a lot of people aren't going to understand why. Because we are created to be with God. We are created with a purpose. It's not just written on our soul. It's written into our very anatomical, biological makeup. We're made to be connected to other human beings. Even the sacrifice of a priest or a nun, they are still connected to the world. They're not disconnected from relationships. And one of the mothers in this Jubilee Media video ends up saying, well, what happens when you're older and you don't have someone to care for you? That's why you want to have children. And there's much more that could have been sent to that. But look at what's happening in Japan right now. And other places throughout, uh, not just Europe, but all over Asia. Asia has the lowest fertility rates right now. We're looking at some of the statistics that are already being predicted to come out. And we're finding that Asia has some of the lowest fertility rates. And we're seeing the Middle East and parts of Africa have the highest fertility rates. Yet in parts of Asia, there's a whole business that's been created for cleaning up apartments and homes where people are dying and no one knows. And that baby. That body is decaying within that house because they have no family to check up on them, no one to care for them. Here in the United States, we're seeing across the nation euthanasia starting to be implemented quietly, even though it's technically not legal yet, but it's still happening. We're seeing physician-assisted suicide occurring. People are feeling obviously disconnected. We're made for relationships. And here's the key. We're not created to be selfish. We're created to be selfless. And that's something that marriage and having children does to you. It makes you enter into a life with another person and have to consider the other person's thoughts, the other person's feelings, the other person's body, the other person's dreams. Oh, You have a child, you now have to consider the good of that child and you have to communicate with another human being what you mutually think will be best for raising this new tiny human being, for forming and shaping that individual, helping to show them that they are loved. These are ideas that right now millennials are taught that the world revolves around them, that they can be anything, do anything. I'm sorry, but I can't be anything. I can't do anything and everything. I have limitations. We all have limitations. The world does not revolve around me. Yet millennials are forgetting this. They think that it's about traveling. It's about absolute freedom. Yet their idea idea of freedom is misconstrued because freedom is a fundamental part of being a human being. Freedom has to do with being able to come to know something and freely choose it, that we can know it and we can choose it. Freedom has something to do with our ability to love. We're going to talk about this a little bit more later on in the show, that what gives a human person value? 
Yet this idea of freedom and love is far from understood in the current generation. And I think it's because this heartbreak that we've seen in the culture, we don't recognize what marriage is. We don't respect the relationship and the honor between a husband and a wife. We've seen children as a commodity to be sought after, not something to be loved and raised up. These are the challenges. And that's why when you check out this video, I'll post it on my social media. This gives you a glimpse of people who are trying to find happiness, yet they're not finding any role models. And so that's the challenge I post you. Be the role model by the way you live your life, whether you're single, whether you're married, live your life to the fullness Live it with Christian virtue and with joy so that people see that to be faithful is something that's attractive. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Hello there, Timory here. We're going to be talking about RU46 on college campuses in the state of California. We'll also be responding to the question of should someone be able to abort their child if they find out there is a diagnosis of disabilities? I know you probably agree that someone should not abort their child, but why not? First, a message about our sponsors here on Trending. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable and quality health care. They enable the community share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You get to choose your doctor and who you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity is the only health sharing ministry that shares in NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both family and your health care and your faith. For more information, visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. You can also find links under the episode at Radiotrending.com. So I want to come back here for a second. We're going to talk about the fact that RU46, we've been discussing for really the last two years here on Trending. I've been posting on social media and thank you to anyone who has called your legislator, written a letter, written an email asking the California state legislator to not bring RU46 abortion pills to college campuses. The bad news is that the governor here in California, Gavin Newsom, has signed this into law. And, you know, this is actually quite surprising, not because he's pro-abortion. It's surprising because even his own major fiscal advisors for the state of California had advised against this. And here's why. Because per school, they're going to have to give hundreds of thousands of dollars to each school. And we're talking about 34 college campuses here in the state of California. That includes all of the University of California schools and Cal State schools are going to need to become abortion ready for the RU46 pill. And they're not ready right now. 
And not only that, it's come out that they're going to need $10.29 million in funds by January 1st, 2020, in order for this law to go into place. Now, it wouldn't go into place, I believe, until about 2023. So there are a few years here still. But apparently, word's already been had. Big surprise. The money is already there that they need in private funding. Almost uh, actually, okay. So just over $10 million that would be needed. Apparently it's already been secured. Wonder by who, maybe Planned Parent or someone because they want to be in the pocket of the college campuses. But here's something you might not know about RU46 abortions. RU486 abortions, it's a two-set chemical process. I encourage you, if you don't know enough about the process, to go on to live action on YouTube and look up what the process looks like. Also, if you saw the movie Unplanned, telling the story of Abby Johnson having left after being the head of a Planned Parenthood facility and employee of the year, even for Planned Parenthood, it portrays the story of her having experienced an RU46 abortion. Instead of two chemical pills, you take them on your own, you pass a dead baby by yourself at home the motto in the abortion movement is flush don't look why because you're seeing face to face a baby a dead baby but here's something you might not know are you 46 abortion pills actually suppress the woman's immune system now this is really interesting and here's why we're talking about bringing ru46 abortion pills to 34 college campuses to be administered by the staff there there on the campus now part of the problem is that we're already concerned about basic health standards uh, being implemented and just the system properly being um, in place to give this to women but also if RU46 abortion pills, part of what it does is suppress the immune system. We've seen that many of the deaths associated with RU46, because women have died from this, is because her immune system has been suppressed, leaving her susceptible to other diseases and problems and infections that have indeed set in. And if you're not familiar with RU46 abortions, let me tell you, I have spoken and counseled women trying to save the lives of children. And I have talked to women who have gone through this process and I've sat there as receiving text messages as they're sharing about the blood clots, the size of baseballs that they're passing and the medical problems they have after. Yet we want to give this to college students on college campuses where there is a major rise and in fact an epidemic of sexually transmitted diseases. So we're saying here, college students, take RU46. Many of these college students are also already using hormonal contraceptives, failed birth control. They're pregnant anyways. And now we expect them to continue to be sexually active or they already are sexually active and in fact are already carriers of sexually transmitted diseases. And we are now really suppressing their immune system on the campus as now they have the susceptibility to STDs. And it's just unbelievable to me. And the regularity of a high number of sexual partners is very common on college campuses. I don't need to tell you. I know you're aware of this. Ask any high schooler. They're aware of it. So why are we doing this? It's bad science. It's bad health care. It's bad for women. We're putting women at high risk. Yet we're not going to see the statistics coming out. Wow, a teenager or a high school student or a college student died from an RU46 abortion pill because it suppressed her immune system. 
and that STD destroyed her life. No, we're going to hear, oh, another woman died from STD or another woman died from this type of thing. They're not going to link it back to abortion because that's what our society does here in the United States. They don't show the cause of death as being infection that set in from the abortion. They'll say perforated uterus. They don't say perforated uterus from a medical instrument during an abortion that went through her uterus. They don't say that. That's why if you don't know this, the statistics that are out there about botched abortions and death because of abortion are not accurate. This is what's so scary about the RU46 abortion pill being brought onto campus. So what do I charge you with? You need to educate yourself to know what RU46 abortion is, and you need to be able to help high school students and college students to be able to talk about this, to talk about it with their friends. They deserve better than an RU46 abortion. They deserve better than abortion. They deserve better than leaving themselves susceptible to sexually transmitted diseases and a suppressed immune system going through an abortion procedure alone on their own in unsanitary circumstances, because we all know a lot of those college campuses and college dorm rooms are not the most sanitary. Come on, 18 year olds living on their own for the first time. Nothing more needs to be said on that note. So I want to talk, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. I want to talk about the story. A woman in Poland, you may have heard this, says she would have aborted her baby had she known the baby has Down syndrome. She sued the National Health Service for, quote, wrongful birth. She claims it's wrongful birth because she did not receive prenatal testing. Apparently, when the nurses or whoever it was was asking her, she declined further testing, further screening, whatever the terminology was. She ended up being rewarded to the equivalent of $250,000 by the High Court of Justice. This woman, the story's coming out of Poland, says that she would not have wanted a child that's disabled. And she also says she would not have wanted a child to suffer and live as a disabled person. Now, the judge said essentially that the woman had a right to down screening. So essentially to the prenatal screening that would have shown her whether or not the child had Down syndrome. Because he says that essentially medical termination should have been an option. Wow. So and it's interesting because the judge will even go on. Well, you know, some people want this. I'm not, you know, saying what my opinion is. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that this woman should have access to screening and she should have access. Why? Because she should have the right to be able to medically terminate her child, to kill her child. This is where we're at. We believe that some life is more valuable and some life is less valuable. I was speaking at an event this weekend and I was talking about the dignity of human life and you hear the word dignity. The Catholic church uses it a lot. Now you hear, I feel like every social justice issue from immigration to abortion now uses it. But do we really know what the word dignity means? I want to tell you a story. When I was working in the crisis pregnancy centers, um, I was recently reminded of this. There was a woman who was facing an unplanned pregnancy. Praise God, she chose life for her baby. A couple weeks after having the child, she ends up uh, coming back to the center. Ended up being that a fire broke out within their home. And as the family was exhausted after having welcomed this new precious baby into their home, they're trying to get what what little sleep they can. And as the home is being consumed by the fire, 
The dog and animals are barking, but the animals aren't enough to compel them to get up as they're so tired, as they're adjusting to this new life of a child being in their home and the sleeplessness that occurs. But then the baby begins to cry and the baby alerts the family, wakes them up and the family with that precious baby cradled in their arms, make it safely out of the house. There was so much value in that baby that it wasn't a dog that awaked them from sleep in the midst of the flames. It was the baby. But would that baby's life have still had value had she not cried and woken the household and saved each and every single one of those family members? Because a lot of people are saying, wow, that child was meant to live. That child was meant to save that family. What if she hadn't cried? What if she hadn't awoken them? What if a fire hadn't broken out within the house? Would that make her less valuable? You see, this comes back to this whole question of why millennials don't believe in marriage or having children today because they don't find their own lives valuable. Your life is valuable because of who you are, not what you do. That baby's life wasn't valuable because she was able to awake a household and save them from a fire. That baby's life was valuable from the moment of her conception and fertilization because of who she is as a person. We're going to come back talking just a little more about why is life valuable and why is living a life as disabled still valuable? You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hey, hey there. So we're talking about some heavy stuff today. I've been talking about the question of whether or not a child with disability should live or die. Of course, you know the answer. That child does not, it doesn't matter whether or not there has been a prenatal screening um, showing that a baby's going to have a disability. That child still deserves to live, but why? If you're just joining us in the episode, please go back, head over to radiotrending.com to hear some of the arguments that I've made because it's really important. So right now we're at the point where A child will receive a death sentence just based on the fact of whether or not we view that baby's life as valuable or not. So this woman decided that her child's life was less valuable, so unvaluable that had she known that her baby was going to have Down syndrome before giving birth, she would have aborted it. She received $250,000, the equivalent of, um, because of this. Now, It's so heartbreaking because this whole idea of the value of life has to do with quality of life. I hear it all the time. Well, we should have abortion access for poor people because their quality of life is lower and it's going to get worse if they don't have. I think uh, presidential candidate Kamala Harris recently made the argument that women are going to die if they do not have abortion, specifically poor women. Um, You guys, circumstances are changeable. Am I saying that every single person who's poor makes it out? No. What I am saying is that circumstances are changeable and we should not determine whether a child lives or dies based on changeable circumstances. And let me say this. I have worked in those crisis pregnancy centers. I just this last week, I've been involved with two crisis pregnancy centers and interacting with them. And guess what? 
They give tons of resources, parenting classes, and they aid and mentor women for years after the birth of their child to help not only help them be great moms and to be pro-life and support the life of that baby and that woman, but to help that woman see the value in her life. And when we have value in our life, that begins to elevate us out of the poorness that we can be surrounded by. Whether it's material poorness, whether it's poorness of spirit, lack of religion, whether it's the rampant drug culture and sexual depravity that we're surrounded by. What happens when a woman chooses life, and I've seen this, when she chooses to keep that baby, when she realizes that that baby's life is so valuable, she must respect it. She's also recognizing that my life is so valuable. I can love this child. And I can bring this child into the light of day and give it a future to give it a hope that I can come out of myself and care for this new human being. Women's lives are transformed by the work of the pro-life movement who are equipping women who do not believe in themselves, who've been kicked and put down by other people to think that they have to have an abortion in order to get by. You know, people say that in the name of equality, in the name of feminism, that we need abortion. Don't buy that lie. It's actually abortion in this false sense of equality that's destroying women's lives, lowering their self-esteem and making them so anti-commitment, anti-relationship. And I'm not just talking about relationships with a significant other and a potential spouse. And look at this theme of the going no contact where adult children are cutting off contact from their families. Why? It's because they have this lack of self-esteem. They have this lack at times of unconditional love. They have this idea of total selfishness that's causing them to cut off at times that, you know, we could, I'm not going to get into whether it's the parent's fault or the child's fault. A lot of the time it's both. A lot of the time it's something that we have to pray. We, and you, maybe you're a parent who's experienced this with your children. The culture breeds this selfishness today. And so why should a woman keep her child if it has a disability? Because we cannot determine that a child is less valuable because it does not have a certain type of function that we think is necessary to live. Again, I, I told you that story earlier. Would that baby girl's life have been less valuable had she not cried in the middle of the night and awoken the whole family to the fire and given them just enough time to escape? What if she hadn't cried? Would she be less valuable? You're valuable because of who you are, not what you do. We talk about the dignity of human life. We believe that a human person has a dignity because we have the ability to know something, to come to understand it. And second, we have the ability to freely choose it. This is what makes it so that we're capable of loving. Because in order to love, we have to come to know and understand something to the best of our ability, not perfectly, but to come to understand something and to freely choose it has to be an act of the will. Right? An understanding of the intellect. And that's what these women are doing when they choose to have their children. When they're tempted by abortion and choose life instead, they see the value of their child, but they see the value of their ability to love. And this is why when we're talking about this whole conversation earlier about marriage and children and how, you know, there's this debate between moms versus daughters and some young people are finding pressure from their parents to get married. We need to talk further about you have the ability to step outside of yourself and do something good for someone else. That's what you're called to. That's what the message of the cross is. It's life-giving, self-giving love. And you look at that cross, it's bloody, it's bruised, and it's beaten. But it changed a world. It created a revolution.
And it showed that our life has value beyond just the trials and the struggle and the despair of this earth, whether it's a despair of having a child who experiences special needs, whether it's the despair of seeing that child need, have those needs and struggle through life, whatever it is, there is still value to that life and how we live our life to the best of our ability with virtue, with truth, with honesty, and with great love will determine whether or not we enter into heaven, whether or not we still take those same relationships with us into heaven. That's what's important that we're keeping in mind. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. I wanted to take just a minute, though, to talk about the Amazonian Synod. Uh, there's a lot of confusion. In fact, there's not a lot of information that's been coming out. I know that a lot of the pre-synodal documents have been very disheartening, uh, not necessarily showing the teaching of the Catholic Church, but making propositions that do not fall in line with what the church teaches. Again, they're just conversational pieces. But the, what's really scary is that there are people within our church people within our society that do have such views that do not fall in line with truth, that do not fall in line with the tradition, right, of the Catholic Church, with scripture and tradition. And that's why anything we see that might be confusing, that is, might be wrongfully said in a homily, wrongfully said in an event, wrongfully spoken about the Catholic Church or by a quote unquote representative of the Catholic Church, we need to know our faith. And that's what's fundamental because believe me, every other organization, non-for-profit, for-profit, or any other type of movement is going to try to influence what the Catholic Church stands for because the Catholic Church has been a great force for truth and love. The Catholic Church is not just some entity. The Catholic Church, Catholicism is a way of living. And, you know, I'm looking at some of the information that came out. There's an article from the National Catholic Register showing a money trail that, in fact, the Ford Foundation, which is a charitable foundation supporting things, for example, such as poverty. They support things such as um, helping with educational uh, implementing education for minorities. They do a lot. They do some great work, but they also are very pro-abortion. They advocate for abortion. They advocate for LGBTQ rights. And what we've seen is, in fact, the Ford Foundation was huge in making sure that that Supreme Court decision back in 2016 that would have closed a number of abortion clinics in the state of Texas, they really fought to help make sure that those abortion clinics stayed open. Do you guys know why those abortion clinics in Texas were going to close? Those abortion clinics in Texas were going to close, and I'll get to why this is related to the Amazon Synod in a second. Those clinics were going to close because they weren't meeting basic medical health standards. You couldn't fit a gurney through the halls in case something went wrong with the abortion. So in other words, a woman would have to be moved around in a way that we would be medically unsafe. They also didn't have ambulatory privileges. That's a privilege that would allow for a abortion clinic to have direct access to a local hospital that if something were to go wrong, they could usher her over to other medical treatments and facilities and equipment that they would need to save her life. They didn't even have admittance privileges into local hospitals to give basic medical care in case something went wrong within something like a 30 mile radius. They didn't have those partnerships. They couldn't even fit the gurning through the hallway. They were even meeting basic medical standards of cleanliness within their own buildings. That's why the abortion clinics were closing almost all of them in Texas. But in 2016, it was decided that that would be an undue burden on women. 
and that if these abortion clinics were going to close, it would be an undue burden on women. So it was repeal. It was appealing back to the 1992 abortion case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey that said that there can be no undue burden placed on a woman in access to abortion. So what it's saying is that if a woman wants an abortion, she will have that federal law, federal implementation of these various Supreme Court decisions trump the local state law. And so that's what happened in the Supreme Court case having to do with Texas. Well, guess what? The Ford Foundation was partially behind influencing, trying to make sure that those abortion clinics didn't close in the state of Texas. Now what's come out is that there are millions of dollars behind the organizations that are working with the Amazon Synod, that there are millions of dollars going behind organizations such as the Missionary Council that's run by the Brazilian Bishops Conference. Millions of dollars that are helping to organize and put together things at the Amazon Synod. This is what, part of the reason why there's so much confusion and people aren't wanting to answer questions, yet the money trails there and it's documented. I'll post a link. I bring this all up, you guys, because there are external forces trying to say what the Catholic Church teaches, trying to change what the Catholic Church teaches. But do you know what the church teaches? Do you falsely represent the church? We need to know our faith. We need to know our scripture. We need to know tradition. And we need to be willing to battle those who are trying to influence and change things that will not change. And do not forget that Christ said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against what? They say the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 